in an amen. <clears throat> that might be one of my most favorite hymns and songs of all time. Thank you, Rhonda, for doing that. My Redeemer lives. Because my Redeemer lives, I can face tomorrow. <laughs> because my Redeemer lives, I just spoke to him this morning. And I have. More than once. <laughs> and I hope you have too. Because you get to speak to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You get to speak to the Prince of Peace. The Alpha and the Omega. The one who gave his life. In order that you and I may be able to spend life with him for an eternity. My Redeemer lives. I hope your Redeemer lives too. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. (laughs) That my Redeemer lives. (laughs) I thank you, Father, that what you did on that cross... Father, I thank you for what you did in that tomb. Speaks of your love for us. Father, I pray that we will never get over that kind of love that you have for us. God, my prayer today is that you will hide behind your cross. That you will stretch out your hand, Father, and touch my mouth. And put your words into my mouth as I am sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Father, be with us this day. I pray that, again, that our worship today will be acceptable to you. And that is what we want. In your name, I pray these things. Uh Amen. Amen. We don't have just one central text today. But obviously, we're going to be talking about the resurrection You know, Jesus told his disciples on at least three occasions. He said, guys, I've got to go to Jerusalem. And when I get to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me. And then he said, after three days, I'm going to rise again. And over and over in the scriptures, the, the disciples really couldn't grasp that concept. They just didn't get it at the time. But after that Friday and that Saturday and that Sunday, they began to realize what he meant by that. You see, we have the crucifixion, which is extremely important. We have the resurrection, which is extremely important. There's not one of those that's more important than the other. You had to have both. And we're so thankful for that because we base our faith, we base our abundant life, we base how we live on those two facts, those two cornerstones. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins and three days later he arose from the grave. You need to be excited about that because that, my friend, is the good news of the gospel. You see, Jesus entering the tomb is just as important as Jesus exiting the tomb. You need to understand that. I am so thankful that he went to the cross. When he went to the cross, what did he do? He took our sins from us. The Bible says God piled all of our sins and your sins and all the 
the gross sins that are out there and to pile them on Jesus and made Jesus to become sin. I'm so thankful that he was willing to do that. I'm so thankful that Jesus took the punishment that he took. The beatings, the crown of thorns, the nails, the spear, the rejection, the abandonment, all of that. I'm so thankful that he did that. It is as if he went through hell on this earth so that you and I don't have to go through hell for an eternity. That's an amazing fact. He was willing to do that so that you and I would never have to experience hell on hell for an eternity. I'm so thankful for that. On the cross, Satan was defeated. All his schemes and all his uh, ways that he wanted, all the thoughts, all his plans were now defeated on the cross without Jesus' death on the cross. The Bible tells us that we would still be in our sins. Without him dying on a cross, we would still be unredeemed. We would not be forgiven. We would not understand the love of God. We would be a people that are just hopeless, wandering into this world and trying to survive. I'm so thankful that Jesus went to the cross. I'm so thankful that he bore my sins. I'm so thankful because of that I am forgiven. I am so thankful that he was obedient to the Father by going there. You know, that is, I don't know about you, but that is something to be excited about. Thankful for what Jesus did on that cross. Without Jesus truly dying on the cross, there would never be a need for a resurrection. I'm so thankful for the resurrection. You know, not everybody believes in the resurrection. Not everybody believes the specialness of Easter morning. I mean, we see it today. We see it today that, that Easter is just another, another day. Uh, the Lady of Brahms. Happy Easter. Yeah, it's Easter. Not understanding what Easter really means. Jesus dealt with the same thing. The disciples dealt with the same thing. You see, back then they didn't believe in a resurrection. There was a whole religious group of folks who thought they were religious. And yet the Sadducees said, there is no way anybody would ever be able to rise from the dead. We just don't believe that. It's not possible. Much less this guy, Jesus. They just didn't believe it. Impossible. They believe one of the stories was that, that Jesus really didn't die on a cross. That, that, that it appeared that he died. <laughs> the swoon theory, if you would. That he really didn't die. That he was still had life in him when they took him off of the cross. You know, the Roman soldiers, they knew about death. They knew about crucifixion. They knew about pain. They knew when a guy was dead or not. In order to make sure that he was, they put a spear in his side that penetrated his heart and outflowed blood and water. They knew what death was. This man is dead, they would say. He wasn't swooning. He didn't have a heartbeat. And they say when they put him in the grave that the coolness and the dampness of the grave got him up. Got him going. 
And because he had taken all the beating and all hanging on that cross and the spear and all that stuff that he went through, he still would have had the strength to move that big old rock away from the tomb. Uh, that, that theory makes no sense. They wanted people to believe that the disciples came and took the body, stole the body. They even paid the Roman soldiers, said, man, here, here's, here's 20 bucks. I want you to start the story that the disciples came and got him. No, didn't work that way. I read of a third, a third uh, theory that they had back in the day. This is, I, I, I'd never heard this one before, but it's called the hallucination theory. That the disciples, every time they would have seen Jesus over this 40 days that he walked on this earth, that all they were doing really hallucinating. They really didn't see him, but something in their minds said, yeah, that, that must be Jesus. No. That's not the way it was. You see, we still battle that today. Did Jesus really die on that cross? Today, I want to look, I want to answer three questions today for us about the resurrection. And I think Dirk has got those. And here's, here's where the message is going to go today. What is the proof that Jesus really did rise from the dead? That's the first one. We're going to try to answer that. The second one, why is it important to understand and believe in the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to look at that, hopefully. And the third one, how does the resurrection of Jesus affect our eternity? That's where the, hopefully the, the message will go today. The first one, what is the proof that Jesus really did rise from the dead? What is the proof? Well, I think the very first proof is that Jesus said he was going to do that. That Jesus, the Son of God told people, told disciples that, yeah, I'm going to rise from the grave. Jesus was perfect. Jesus could not tell a lie. Jesus could not stress the truth. If Jesus said it, it's going to happen. It did happen. I think the first proof is just because Jesus said that it was going to happen, it really did happen. The second thing I would say is proof is the empty tomb. The disciples and his followers had seen where Jesus has been placed in the tomb. They saw the Roman seal that was on the tomb. They saw the Roman guards that were there to protect the tomb from anybody coming in and trying to get them. And we know the stone that was rolled in front of it was so heavy. And, and yet on that Sunday morning when, when the Marys went and the ladies went to prepare his body for for, few, for burial, they looked and the stone was moved and the, and the tomb was empty. There was nobody in there. Proof that he has risen. We see the angels as they, the angel was there sitting and as Mary came and, and, and was wondering and was crying and carrying on about where did they take him, the angel says, why do you look for the living among the dead. For he is risen. He is risen. Jesus says that the empty tomb says he is gone. The angels say that he has, he has risen. Well, let me give you some more proof if you don't believe that. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene in the garden there where the tomb was. And you remember 
the story. Mary had come and Mary was lingering at the tomb as the other Marys had left. And Jesus, and Mary had been crying and she'd been sobbing and, and, and she had been looking and, and wondering what, what now because they had stolen my Savior. And the Bible says there was a man that, that was standing behind her. And because her eyes were so filled with tears and grief and, and, and she was looking that way, she turned and saw this man and she said, in her mind, she thought, he must be the gardener. Where, where have you taken my Savior? The, he was not the gardener. He was Jesus that had just left the tomb. And Mary didn't understand it because her eyes were filled with tears. But when Jesus said, Mary... Mary, oh, Rabboni, master teacher. And she ran and clinged to him. You see, she couldn't understand at first visually, but the Bible says from Jesus, he said, my sheep know my voice. And when Jesus said, Mary, it dawned on her, that is my Lord and Savior. What more proof do you need that we serve a risen Savior. We see the brother James, the half-brother of Jesus, who, as Jesus was ministering in his life over those three years, his brother said, man, you are nuts. You are crazy. Who do you think you are calling yourself the Son of God? No, you're my brother. I know you. I know who you are. And yet, after the resurrection, Jesus went to his brother James and as he was talking to James, and, and James had seen him die, and now he's alive and well, James' heart was changed, and his attitude was changed about his brother Jesus. And James became the first pastor of the Baptist church in Jerusalem, and he became a strong, staunch supporter. How could that happen to anybody? Because he came in touch with the risen Savior. Jesus appears to Peter and John and James and Thomas and a bunch of other disciples at the Sea of Galilee. The disciples had just about given up. Their leader was gone. What do we do now? I don't know. Peter said, hey, I'm going fishing. I'm just going to go fishing. So these disciples went with him and the Bible says they fished all night. Caught nothing. Caught nothing. Man, that's a bad night of fishing, isn't it? Caught nothing. Not even a minute. But then after morning came and, 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 and as they were fishing out away and they saw a man over there on the, on the beach. And the man said, how's the fishing going? Ain't caught a thing all night. And he said, well, why don't you just throw your nets on the other side of your boat and see what happens. You see, that's how Peter and James and John first was introduced to Jesus. Before they were ever disciples, Jesus said, hey, throw your nets over there and see what happens. And it just kind of dawned on John. He goes, I've heard this before. This, and, 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 they got their, and they couldn't even hold all the fish. And there was Jesus saying, hey, why don't you come over here? I got breakfast ready for you. Come on over to the shore. I got breakfast here. I got some fish and some bread. Let's sit down and visit. That was a resurrected Jesus who was doing that to those disciples. 
Aren't you thankful he is a risen Savior? Jesus appeared to the disciples in that locked upper room. The room that was locked. The room that had the windows boarded up. Jesus appears to them. They're scared. They're frightened. And Jesus all of a sudden just appears. He didn't have to open the door. He just was there. His glorified body. One of these days, you and I are going to be just like it. We won't need to walk through a door. We're just going to be bang. Here we are. That's what Jesus did. And knowing their hearts and knowing what was going on in their minds, he tells them three times, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Because I have risen from the grave. Eight days later, Thomas was not there at that time. Eight days later, Jesus comes to the disciples again. And Thomas is there. Because Thomas has already said, man, I ain't believing what you said. I ain't believing he's been there until I see his nails, hands, and his feet. Jesus made a special effort to visit with Thomas and the disciples at that point. He said, Thomas, buddy, look at here. You see what that is? That's, that's my nails, where they put those nails. Thomas, you see my feet? Thomas, put your hand right here, buddy, right here and feel that. Thomas said, oh, my Lord and my God, you are risen from the grave. Jesus is so good. The two men on the road to Emmaus, speaking to this guy, this stranger that came up, walk a while, they sit down and eat. This stranger blesses the food. And then he gets up and leaves. And, and, and the two at the road to Emmaus said, you know, gosh, this, this was something. Wasn't our hearts burning when he was speaking about the scriptures? Wasn't there something special about this stranger that was there? That stranger was Jesus because he had just risen from the grave. He appeared to those two. He appears to 500, the Bible says, in one setting. 500 Christians, he appears to them after the resurrection. He appears to the disciples at his ascension. He had brought his disciples and followers together. And before he is, he is raised up into the air, he meets with them and gives them some final, some final plans. Go and tell, he says. And I'll be back directly. Do you need more proof that he is the risen Savior? Let me give you a couple more. The disciples themselves. The disciples who abandoned Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Who stood way back at Calvary. The disciples who were in that room. The doors are locked. Windows are boarded up. They're scared to death. They're scared that the, disciples, that the Romans will come and take them and do the very same thing they just did to Jesus. And there they are, a group of frightened disciples. Hopeless disciples. And yet when they came and, and, and the risen Savior came to them. And, and, they, and he revealed himself to them. What happened to those scared lot of disciples? The Bible says they became strong and courageous and bold. And they went out all around the known world preaching the gospel. Knowing that most likely at the end of their life they too would be martyred for the gospel. 
And yet they took the time and they took the effort and they took the boldness to go spread the gospel around the world. What could change a person like that into such a boldness? A risen Savior is the only one that could do that. And one more. What changed Paul? What changed Saul? We'll say Saul first. What changed Saul? The enemy of the gospel. He is going to Damascus to go round up some more Christians to put in prison and hopefully we'll see them die. And yet we know what happened on that Damascus road. A bright light slapped him down. And there was a voice from heaven said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus, the one. And Paul went from an enemy of the truth to an evangelist of the gospel, the greatest evangel. What, ha- what happened to Paul's life? He'd come in contact with the risen Savior. That's the only way that could ever have happened that way. Aren't you glad we serve a risen Savior? I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living no matter whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he is always near. Amen. In Acts 10, verse 40 and 41, it says this to sum up that. God raised him on the third day and granted that he become visible. Not to all people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Even the book of Acts says that Jesus is alive and well. The second thing I want to share with you real quick. Why is it important to understand about the resurrection of Jesus? Why is it? Paul will take a different direction here in these verses. And basically what he's saying, what if we really didn't have a resurrection? What if it just didn't happen? And Paul is talking to his Corinthian church buddies there was a church there, and, and, and they had had some problems. And, and, and in the church, they were, they were saying, that there's no resurrection. That just didn't happen. And this began to infiltrate that church. And Paul's got to nip it in the bud. And he says, what happens if there is no? Well, he said, let me tell you what happens if there is no resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15. It says this, starting in verse 13. He says, but if there is no resurrection from the dead, not even Christ has been raised. He said, you know, if God can't raise somebody up from the dead, if he doesn't have that power, if he's so weak, then how can he raise his son up, Christ? He he couldn't do it. And, and, And Paul said, if there's no resurrection, then there's no power. God has no power to be able to do that. But we know that's not true. In verse 14, it says, if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith also is in vain. Man, if your preaching is in vain. Boy, that'd be a slap to preachers, wouldn't it? That if Christ has not risen, the things that, that we speak from these pulpits are void, absent from the truth. 
has no meaning. It is emptiness if the resurrection does not happen. You see, it says your faith is in vain. The things you believe in Jesus would be in, in vain. Why would you ever want to worship a dead body as your Savior? Your faith would be, would be worthless. It would be no good, the Bible says. You would be as if we need to close the doors to this church if there was no resurrection. You would just be wasting your Sundays to come to church if there was no resurrection. Peter is saying, man, pay attention here. In verse 15, it says, moreover, we even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead were not raised. He said, we're just a bunch of liars. You Sunday school teachers, you, you, you leaders, those preachers, you're just liars if the resurrection has not happened. You've just been f- preaching a false gospel. Your faith means nothing. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. He goes back to 13 and he says this, if, if Christ is not going to be raised, you're not going to be raised. You see, you see, as Christians, if Jesus is risen from the, from the grave... We too will be risen from the grave. And if he is not risen from the grave, we too will not be risen from the grave. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. In verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Oh my goodness. Your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. Can you imagine you're still in your sins? If Christ has not been raised, you have not been forgiven. You have not been redeemed. You have never felt the love of God if Christ has not been raised. We are dead in our sins if he's never come out of that tomb. What a sad thought. No cleansing, no righteousness, no hope. And as I was thinking about that and some of these other verses, I thought, you know, that's the, that's the belief of every person that's never accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. They've never experienced forgiveness. They've never experienced redemption. They've never, they don't understand what cleansing and righteousness is. And all they do is have a hope of nothing. They are a hope. They're hopeless in their life. Verse 18, for those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Can you imagine have perished? Peter said, if there is not, if there is not a resurrection that every person that you know that's been buried from here on out are in a grave, bones decaying, decomposing, you'll never see them again, he says. You are perishing. And when you die, he says, without the resurrection, you'll be just like them. We'll set you in a grave. And there you'll be forever and forever if there is no resurrection. That's a hard thought. But Paul says if there's no resurrection, that's, what's, that's what will happen. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all men who must be pitied. We will be pitied because we have no hope for salvation. There's no hope for eternal. 
eternity. No hope for a home in heaven. No hope to ever understand the love of Christ. No hope of salvation. We have no hope. And because we have no hope and we've not put our faith and trust in a Jesus, the Bible says we are men and women to be pitied because you're living in a hopeless situation without, without hope for eternity, without putting your trust in a holy Savior. Paul says you are to be pitied. But then one of the greatest verses in the, in the Bible is verse 20. <laughs> verse 20. But now Christ has been raised, he says, from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. I, I don't know about you, but that's an amen and a hallelujah. That's an amen and a hallelujah. Christ is not dead. He is not buried in that grave. He is, we have a chance to have a hope life, not a hopeless life because of the resurrection Savior. The greatest hope of all mankind is to put your faith and trust in Jesus. That is the greatest hope. Because when we do that, that allows us to have an eternity in heaven forever and forever. Because of that risen Savior. Because of the empty tomb. Because Jesus is resurrected. That is our guarantee that one day as Christians, we too will be resurrected. That's good news. (laughs) That's good news of the gospel. And number three, real quick, I promise. How does the resurrection of Jesus affect our eternity? When the Christian is called home one of these days, the Bible tells us that our soul, our spirit, goes to be with him. Last breath here, first breath there, absent from the body, present with the Lord. We, we know that. But we leave this old body here, don't we? This old body is put in that grave and we put a casket around it and, and put him six feet down and there's the body. Our soul is there. Our body remains here. Why is it important that we understand what affects our eternity? 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two says this. He says, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, At the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will all be changed. One day he's coming back, isn't he? Come get us. There's going to be a shout as he descends from heaven, the Bible says. There's going to be the voice of the archangel and in that last trumpet. That'll be the last trumpet you'll ever hear, the Bible says. The last trumpet. You won't have to put up that trumpet sound again. Jesus come back to get us. And it says our perishable body will become imperishable. Our mortal body will become immortal body. You see, he's going to give us one day a very special kind of body. When we are called up at the rapture, when we are called to meet him in the air, our spirit, our soul is coming back with him to Jesus. And when that trumpet sounds and 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 the voice of, of Jesus is heard by his believers. We will bust out of that grave. We will meet him in the air to be reunited with our friends and loved ones who are born again. And we'll see Jesus face to face for the first time. What a glorious time that will be. And at that time, he will give us a glorified body. A body that will never deteriorate. A body that will never die. A body that will never decay. A body that will 
never decompose. A body that is suited for heaven. He'll give us a body that we will no longer deal with sin or sorrow or suffering. He'll give us a body where we no longer have to deal with pain. We'll no longer have to deal with death and separation of death. What a great time that will be when we get that glorified body. It will be a body that will just be suited for heaven. You won't be wearing glasses. You won't have a hearing aid. You won't walk with a limp. Because he will give you that perfect glorified body that we were supposed to have before the fall in the Garden of Eden. We will get that body again. I don't know about you, but that's pretty good news also. Yeah. And when we get this imperishable, immortal body, in verse 54, it says, death is defeated. Death is defeated. In 55, it says there's no more sting of death because death is defeated. In verse 57, it says we have victory over sin and death. You see, as Christians, we don't have to worry about death and dying, do we? We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to think, oh, man, what's going to happen to me? We have victory over that. We don't have to worry about that. That's not anxiety because we know exactly what's going to happen when we take our last breath. In a twinkling, in a moment of an eye, in a nano, nano, nano type of a second. The Bible says before you can draw your next breath, after you've taken your last breath, you are in heaven in the very presence of holy God and his son Jesus. That's what's going to happen to you. That's why the Bible says, Christians, you'll never die. You'll never die if you believe in me, he says. That's a victory over sin and death right now. That's beautiful. And then in verse 28, one more verse. One more verse. He says, this is what I want you to keep doing, guys, as you look forward to eternity. Beautiful verse. Therefore, he says, my beloved brethren, Christians, he says, be steadfast and immovable. Be strong in your faith. Do not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus because it leads to salvation. Don't let anybody trick you. Don't let anybody deceive you. Don't let anybody say, nah, you don't know what you're talking about. As you live on this earth and you serve a risen Savior, he says, be steadfast in what you believe. Be immovable in what you believe. Don't ever back down of what you believe. Somebody gets in your face, don't worry about it. They're not after you, they're after me, Jesus would say. What a beautiful thing. And then he says, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain for the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? The things you do here, the harassment you might take, God knows all about it. He says the things that you do, the words that you speak, the class that you teach, the good things that you do for everybody else are recorded in heaven. Your works are not in vain. Your works don't get you there. But the Bible says you'll be rewarded for your works. Don't give up, he says, when life gets hard. Steadfast and movable. Abound in the works that he's given to you. And in the end of all things, at the judgment seat of Christ for the believers, you'll be rewarded for what you did here on this earth. It makes a difference what you do here. Hebrews 6.10 says this, and I, just, I love this verse. For God is not unjust, so as to, as to uh, forget your work and the love that you have shown towards his name in having ministered and still ministering to his saints. God's not going to forget what you've done here on this earth. 
Why? Because you serve a risen Savior. First John, I mean John, excuse me, 14, 19 says this, because I live, you will live also. What a beautiful thought. What a beautiful thought. Because of the risen Savior, we can be changed like James and Peter and Paul, and we can have that same boldness that they had to go out and tell others about the gospel. Because of the risen Savior, our life is not in vain. He's given us a purpose, has he not? He's given us a life that we can live by faith. He's given us a life and and, and called us to be on mission with him. He's given us a purpose and a plan and a priority and a passion for him because we serve a risen Savior. The sting of death is gone. We no longer have to worry about death and dying because he's told us what the future holds. Because he has risen, the Bible says, you also will live with him for an eternity. Because of our risen Savior, we too one day will be resurrected, glorified bodies, to live with our Savior forever and forever. Aren't you glad Jesus went to the cross? I am. Aren't you glad that the tomb was empty? Aren't you glad that he was raised from the dead? Yeah. Aren't you glad he was obedient to the Father? Oh, man, I am. We serve a risen Savior. Let's bow our heads. Today we celebrate Easter. Today we celebrate the risen Savior. And I hope that that you have all been born again. I hope that your future is in heaven. But if not, I'm going to tell you that Jesus' arms are open wide. He says, come to me. Come to me, he says, and I'll give you eternal life. What do 